Hello and welcome to Yamaha Music's podcast, Artist Insights. My name is Phoebe Ely, and I'm going to be taking you behind the scenes to give you an exclusive insight into the lives and journeys of some of Yamaha's leading artists. Today, I have got an exceptionally talented guest joining me who is a leading light in eclectic soul and proof that classical and alternative R&B music can successfully coexist. Ayana Witter Johnson is a MOBO-nominated singer, songwriter and cellist who is taking the music industry by storm. Having graduated with a first from both Trinity Laban Conservatory of Music and Dance and the Manhattan School of Music, and then going on to the London Symphony Orchestra's Panuvnik Young Composer Scheme, she then became an emerging artist in residence at the South Bank Centre. As if this is not impressive enough, Ayana then went on to become the only non-American to win Amateur Night Live at the legendary Apollo Theatre in Harlem, New York City, with previous winners including Ella Fitzgerald, Jimi Hendrix and the Jackson 5. Ayana, there is a never-ending stream of amazing achievements there. I'm so in awe of your amazing career and what you've achieved so far. Thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely, it's my pleasure, really. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. We're lucky to have you. Uh, So you've had such an exciting journey in your musical career so far, but I'd really, really like to take you back to the very beginning of that journey. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your earliest experiences of music and how that looked for you growing up. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I remember being about three years old. I don't know which concert hall it was, my mum will know. But she took me to see um, an incredible American gospel group called Sweet Honey in the Rock. And she used to play the tape at home and I would hear this tape go round and round. And she took me to this concert and apparently, as the story goes, I, I kind of remember this, but I sang along to like every song that they were performing. <laughs> I was about I love that. three. <laughs> and I think the people sitting... I guess in front of us, whose ears I was kind of singing into, <laughs> they kind of turned around and were just like in shock. They were like, wow, um, you know, she's got some sort of musical uh, affinity or aptitude. So after that, my mum found me a piano teacher. There was a lovely young German lady who lived kind of nearby and I started having piano lessons at three. And it was sort of like name the fingers and like very basic things. things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the basics. But I, yeah, I studied classical piano all through uh, primary school and through secondary school. And I sort of absorbed as well as kind of that classical training, uh, the music that was in the house, soul music, Anita Baker, kind of hip hop, salt and pepper. Um, my dad is also a DJ. Him and my uncle have a sound system. So there was reggae music and jazz music mm. and all the kind of <laughs> just a real range of um, music in the house and around. And then around secondary school, um, when I got there, I was quite advanced at the piano. And my music teacher, he was a saxophonist and he said, you know, you're not learning much in these lessons. <laughs> so you need to pick a second instrument you need to take this list home and come back with your thoughts on what you'd like to learn. So I took this list home and I showed my mom and she was like, "Uh, no woodwind, please, no brass, no (laughs) drums. I was like, okay, that's half the list off the the table. Oh, that's so funny. And the only only section left were um, strings. And I, 
I said to myself, the double bass is a bit big. Um, yeah. <laughs> the violin, my mum played violin at school. So I remember seeing like an old violin somewhere. I was aware of what it was. And I felt like my hands were quite big. I don't know if I've got piano fingers or long fingers, but I thought that the violin wouldn't work because my hands were too big. Um, and then I didn't know what a viola was, <laughs> really. I was like, <laughs> sort of a violin. And then the cello was left. So Amazing. That's my process Amazing. of elimination. I love that so much. And, you know, you grew and grew around this incredible instrument throughout your teens. And then you went on to study at some of the most exceptionally exciting music schools in the world what did that sort of time look like for you and how did you maneuver that sort of transition into composition yeah so my school was pretty academic and um, although I clearly displayed a lot of kind of musical talent as it were I entered all the school competitions and won those and just generally if you'd if you'd ask anyone now what is Ayana likely to be doing they'd probably say music but at the time I was sort of really in the land of academia and doing this on the side so I my first sort of taste of composition was GCC music um and just writing simple pieces or whatever was part of the exam syllabus and I didn't think of well I wanted to do A level but we couldn't because not enough people wanted to do music so when I left, um, I thought I was going to study French and Spanish at Cambridge, but I didn't get three A's. I didn't get the three A's I was expecting or needed to get in order to get in. So that was my first kind of failure. And because of that, it sort of changed my perspective on life entirely. And I took a gap year. Um, yeah, and in that gap year, I, I basically had loads of different types of musical experiences, which led yeah. me ultimately to applying to um, Trinity College of Music, as it was known then, Trinity Laban's yeah. Bay. And I I didn't know what I wanted to do in there. I just knew it was a place for music and they had lots of options. <laughs> so I applied for the foundation course and they they said, oh no, we think we basically think you're more advanced than the foundation course. Would you like to come on to the composition course, um, the degree course? And that was sort of how I was sort of ushered into <laughs> yeah oh it's so incredible it's yeah. really interesting to me because you then obviously were surrounded by exceptionally high level classical musicians we're all training to either be classical soloists or yeah. solely in that world of purely classical music on mm. a professional level so how did you find after that your unique path that then served you and was it difficult to maneuver that sort of pathway into that I it's strange to say but I didn't have any idea of what was going to happen afterwards. I never, I wasn't thinking that way. I think I was very much in the moment and just soaking up everything that was happening. You'd walk down a corridor and just hear like Chopin and Rachmaninoff and Debussy and like all day, every day. I was just sort of a sponge. I just sort of soaked up everything that was around me. So listening to other people, meeting players, um, doing my assignments, projects, writing music, collaborating with other players, setting up ensembles. I just sort of got stuck in. And through the relationships I built, I sort of found these pathways outside of um, music college. So jam sessions or composition um, competitions or, you know, just little out, you know, roads out of the college that led me to 
to sort of building my confidence ultimately. Definitely, that's so inspiring. And I know obviously your dad is a very successful actor. And I'm also wondering how much did that exposure from a young age to such high quality art inform the player and performer that you went on to become? And what do you think is the most important thing that he's taught you personally about performing? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's had a, a huge impact. I I feel like I went to the Globe as a child and sat in the Royal Box and was backstage and kind of got, got a sense of the whole thing, you know, from all the kind of angles. Um, and I went to theatre school as a child. I went to Mount View and Sylvia Young and Susie Earnshaw where else did I go? Bowden. <laughs> so I went to, I also was part of the National Youth Theatre. So I definitely yeah. had a grounding in theatre. And it's something that I still want to do, to be honest. It's still a part of really? me. Really? Yeah. Oh, acting. Okay. Yeah. So it's still That's there. Exciting. And it gave me a sense of all of the arts kind of coexisting in, in one space. And um, he, by example, has just taught me that you need to just stay on your path. He's a good example of doing what you love and sticking and staying committed, fully committed every day. What an inspiration and it's just such an incredible presence to have in your life growing up. I imagine seeing, getting the experiences to experience that you've got were just incredible. Mm-hmm. And I read also in an article recently that you mentioned some of your biggest non-musical inspirations or that of Maya Angelou and o- Oprah Winfrey. And I'm interested to know in what way have these incredible women inspired your own songwriting? Yeah, I am um, a big fan of personal development and understanding who you are as a soul and a spirit and um as I've grown older and I guess as Oprah has grown to a lot of her um a lot of her output is to do with spiritual development really who she interviews and kind of tuning into that has opened my eyes to so many books books by Gary Zuka I loved her Eckhart Tolle um series on a new earth and so I kind of go to her as a gateway to different ways of thinking different minds and with my Angelou I was very fortunate to actually meet her when I was studying in New York um, a friend of mine at the time an opera singer friend her mum used to work for Oprah and she invited me to a New Year's Day party at Dr Angelou's house and I literally pin- I pinched myself from the moment I wow. walked into the into the beautiful That's quite a moment. brownstone building. It was extraordinary, and there were there were all these um, wonderful people that I met there that just affirmed, kind of affirmed the journey I was on. And Maya said she was like, "Have the courage to be somebody." I remember her saying that to have the courage to be somebody. Wow, and. I just kind of like hold tight to that. Like, you know, it's not necessarily an easy path, but it is your path and be brave enough to explore it. Honestly, that's so incredible. She gave you a personal piece of advice. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I am absolutely so inspired Uh... by that. Wow. And you have gone on to do that. You've gone on to achieve such incredible things, Iona, with your career. And one of which is winning the Amateur Night Live at the Apollo Theatre in New York, which I absolutely have to talk to you about. Because as I mentioned earlier, you're the only non-American to have won this award. And you're claiming the title up there with the likes of Ella Fitzgerald and Jimi Hendrix. What on earth did that feel like? And how did that unfold for you that night? So it was a series of um, wins. 
the final win was the fourth round that I had to go through is across the span of a year it happens and there are all these mini rounds and then you win one competition and you go on to the next stage and the next stage it was phenomenal because in the first instance I only just wanted to stand on the legendary stage rub the tree of hope (laughs) and just do my thing and get off so to to have won that first night was like what what (laughs) and then as I kind of kept winning I was like oh the big one's in sight. This might happen. <laughs> it was super nerve wracking because there's like tactical booing and boo. You know, you can get booed off. You know, and if if you don't have enough support, um, you know, I, I had a lot of support. I lived at International House in New York at the time, and like the whole house kind of came down to sort of cheer oh, me on and like. I love that. You know, it was it was really Real an amazing, yeah, experience. Oh gosh. And when you're stood in the wings before you go on stage, just talk to me about what you're feeling before you walk on to that particular moment, big moment. What are you Mm. feeling? Pretty nervous. Um, I always feel nervous to tell the truth before going on stage. Um, I kind of really zone into my breath, (laughs) take some deep breaths and just remind myself I've done this before. I was like, okay, we have, especially as the rounds got more and more and the stakes grew bigger and bigger I was like okay you've got this you've done this before breathe whatever happens um it's been an amazing experience and then sort of the lights and like the cheering and the crowd it's it's like a high (laughs) yeah it's so amazing what it does to your soul and I know like you said you've been on a spiritual journey yourself and self-development how much has all of that that you've been studying as you've gotten older informed the player that you are now today Oh, so much. Because I think I moved from being quite fearful, go, going on stage and wondering, am I going to get it right? That notion of getting it right and am I going to be accepted and liked by the audience? And now it's less, am I accepted and liked? And more, can I be fully present? Can I channel the energy of the song? Can I tell the story as best as I can? So it's a, it's a different focus entirely as opposed to right and wrong. I love that so much and I really can relate and I think a lot of people listening will be able to as well it's such a unique feeling when you get on that stage and suddenly you're giving your soul to these people Mm. and I'm just thinking now you as I said before you're absolutely flying in this industry and you're continuing to do so despite this new world that we've all found ourselves in and I'm, I'm wondering from seeing and hearing this incredible strong musician and person in front of me what has been the biggest obstacle you've faced personally to get to the point that you're at today? Ooh, you're going straight in there with the, <laughs> with the deep questions. I wasn't shy, was I? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I think the biggest obstacle, generally speaking, um, is a sense of self-doubt. It's what happens yeah. in my mind as opposed to what other people are doing to me. And that's a big one because it kind of goes unnoticed if you're not aware of the thoughts you're thinking. And you can get into this space where you're quite used to that sort of voice of uncertainty and I probably can't or I probably shouldn't or whatever the, you know, excuse really is. Um, I've become more and more aware of that voice. So my practice is like recognising it and kind of leaving it to the side so I can actually just focus on what I want to be focused on. Would you describe that as a sense of performance anxiety that you went through that you had to then find a way to Mm. get over? 
it's a constant awareness of something that's probably always going to be there um, because that's sort of life and that's part of the human experience. Um, so I accept it. I don't know if I'm over it, but I'm better than I was at managing it. Yeah, it's yeah. learning to live with it and learning to move forwards. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I, I'm thinking as well, you have you have sang at some incredible venues and played at some incredible venues all over the world. And I just wondered if you could go back in time to one performance or moment in your life to relive it all over again, what would it be and why? Ooh, um, there was a very special performance that happened at the Royal Festival Hall to celebrate the life of um, Dr. Maya Angelou after she passed, it was maybe a year or two after, and I was invited to perform. And I performed the song that I sang at the Apollo Theatre and won with, um, Ain't I a Woman, which was a speech by Sojourner Truth that I made into a song. And I performed that, and that was probably definitely one of my best performances. It was remarkable. And I just remember coming off stage and knowing that I'd like, done her proud done myself proud and just and the song what a huge opportunity that's incredible and when you were on stage and you had that feeling and you you know listed as you just said as one of your favorite best performances that you've done what went through your mind as you were giving to the audience what were you thinking what was the message that you were trying to give the message, well, it, it felt like it was beyond me because the story is a historical story. I was sort of giving that message that it's okay as a black woman to be yourself and to show up in your fullness. I guess that's that was the message. That's the message of, of the song. And what did that do to your soul when you're there and you're sharing it with these incredible people that are celebrating this amazing woman's life? Mm, it just made me feel part of a community just that music was beyond my desires or my needs it was like oh this is really a gift for us all that we're all sharing in you know yeah oh it's so beautiful I'm really really inspired that you had that moment it's such a special thing to hold and treasure as well treasured memory I imagine Mm. um now moving forward Diana we're all manoeuvring into this new world and industry. And I'm just wondering, what does that world look like to you? And where do you see yourself five years from now? This new world, what has happened or what I'm noticing is that it's sort of encouraging us as artists to become sort of more self-sufficient in a way that wasn't necessarily that needed before. So I feel like I'm becoming more of a producer, composer, um, performer, um, and figuring out how to yeah record myself and not that I was totally unaware of that but I'm having to do it in a way that I didn't have to yeah. do before so we're all becoming our own sort of production companies <laughs> and and collaborating remotely and trying new things it's a very sort of exploratory time and I think a lot of innovation and discoveries are going to emerge personally and sort of on a wider professional scale for all of us as artists. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And have you noticed a change in your creativity or your approach to uh, songwriting in this time that we've been in? Has, has there been any sort of different routine that you found yourself moving into? Yeah, I've just become more consistent. And I think that's because... 
I'm at home a lot of the time uh, with time to be consistent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so plenty I've, of time. Yeah, I've very I've been writing a song a week for the past 40 weeks. I mean, I joined a songwriting wow. group. Yeah, I joined a songwriting group at the beginning of lockdown called I Heart Songwriting Club. It's an online yeah. group. And every week um, we write songs and then feedback. And that has been a really wonderful sort of addition to my um, schedule to yeah, do I that. Yeah. Before, were you very much uh, doing that sort of internally? Was there not that much collaboration with such a large volume of people? I was collaborating, but I, I don't know how consistent I was with, my sort of writing practice or at least my songwriting practice I think it was more in response to things that were happening but I'm very conscious of keeping a stream of things that I do for me musically and as well as fulfilling commissions or performances or projects yeah it must be nice to have that collaboration and that um community as well to reach out to it must be really lovely in a time like this yeah um Ayana, you just a ray of sunshine. I've really loved speaking with you today. Um, But I have actually come to my final question, which is, what piece of advice would you give to an 18-year-old Ayana? Um, I would say to her, relax. (laughs) Have more fun. um, Take more risks. And just know that everything will work out well. Oh, perfect absolutely golden advice for anyone as well as your 18 year old self thank you so much Hayana you have been such a joy thank you for joining me oh my absolute pleasure if you enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more about Yamaha and our artists please do tell your friends about the show and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review we'll see you next time for another episode of Artist Insights with Yamaha